So I'm thrilled tonight because this is probably one of my most favorite topics and I have never taught in the way I'm teaching tonight. And uh, what I have been just thinking about over the past probably a couple years is just how many believers, how many people profess Jesus as their savior who don't identify with the voice of God in their life. And what is interesting is that as you read the scripture and understand what God's promises are for us, if we are our choosing, if we are choosing him to be our savior is that we are to be united in communion in connection with him. And so my goal tonight, and this is, I'm not going to get through all of it tonight, so I know that, but I'm going to start to try and give you the biblical basis that we hear from God and also what are the forms and shapes that it comes in that we can understand. So biblically speaking, the first thing you need to know about hearing the voice of God is that it is a birthright. Hearing the voice of God is a birthright for you if you are in Christ Jesus. How many of you guys know like the royal baby, right? The English monarchy. You have uh, that little child. When that child popped out of the womb, its net worth was $1 billion. Just by being born, just by the lineage, the DNA, its, its existence was worth a billion dollars before it, it ever came into life crazy. And it's based upon the heritage, upon the wealth, upon the inheritance that uh, belongs to the family. And so that is one of the promises for us, is that we have the birthright to hear from God. John 1.12, it says that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As you receive Jesus, it becomes your right to become his child. And that those rights afford us certain privileges, and that is to hear his voice. I'm going to just shotgun blast a few verses, because I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just let me give you a little picture. John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 14, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. John 16, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. John 8, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. I love that one. John, or Matthew 10, so do not be afraid of them, talking about rulers, Pharisees, people in opposition, for there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Proverbs 1. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Luke 21. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Now, is there any speculation that if you are a child of God that you should be hearing God's voice? Hopefully not. (laughs) And, uh, but hearing God's voice is is not just for fun. It's, uh, it's, It's very significant in light of history of man. And experiencing God's voice is the proof that the curse of Eden is broken and that sin and death have been defeated. 
It's not just simply that, hey, we have a good cell phone reception to the higher heavens. It's not about just being afforded some really cool thing. It actually is the celebration of what was originally a curse for man in Genesis chapter one. When Adam and Eve fell and they chose sin, God removed them from the Garden of Eden. They were separated from God's presence. They walked with God. They were face to face with God. And so that is what separated them, sin. And it was the curse And if you're familiar with Galatians 3, there's kind of a funny verse. It says that Jesus became the curse for us. It's kind of a weird thing. You're like, that's not how I think of it. Why? Is that when Jesus came in the flesh, he became the curse that was given to man. He became a man, took on the curse that was bestowed to man and put on the cross. And then then the curse was broken. If you know in the Old Testament, the the presence of God was limited to a tabernacle, which one holy person once a year could go in who had a rope on, and if in case he got killed, he could be pulled out, that kind of deal. When Jesus was on the cross and he says, it is finished, the the, uh, curtain that separated the Holy of Holies was torn in two, signifying that we now have the presence of God within us. But people misunderstand the purpose of Jesus coming and dying. It wasn't just simply to bring people and remove them from a path towards hell and put them to heaven, it was actually to give us direct access to God. When we understand that Jesus was not just a really expensive fire insurance for us, that it was actually the method in which we are reconciled to be connected with the eternal Father and hear his voice, all of a sudden faith changes the model for us. It demands that we look at what a what was abolished for us. The curse of being separate from God was abolished. And that's the reason we don't have tabernacles anymore. Right? If you actually look in the word when it says Jesus came to live with us, that word lived actually means tabernacle. Jesus is like, hey, while we're at it, let's have like a better idea than like a garden where people have to go or a a really expensive building. Let's like make everybody a tabernacle. You are a tabernacle. You are the carrier of the presence of God. In the Old Testament, I sometimes have a little bit of a challenge when people draw um, principles from just purely the Old Testament. Why? Because in the Old Testament, God's people were living under the power of the curse, separated from God. It's important that we know how life and how all the prophecies foretold to Jesus, but we need to know that the Old Testament, those people, they were under the curse of separation from God. The New Testament is where we have direct access with God. Am I making sense? And so that demands that we understand that there are new privileges, new access afforded to us because the curse is broken. It's kind of like a Christian who doesn't hear from God is like a prisoner who is declared innocent but refuses to leave his jail cell. A Christian who does not hear the voice of God is like a prisoner who was just declared innocent but refuses to leave his jail cell. Because what we have afforded to us to have God's voice in us and available to us is the blessing. It is the celebration that the curse is gone. Now, what form does God's voice come in? The very first thing before I describe some attributes is this, is that God, this is, if you get nothing tonight, get this. (laughs) God will speak in whatever form you will best receive. In hearing God's voice, how do I hear God's voice? What does God's voice sound like? Does it sound like James Earl Jones? Or does it sound like the guy who narrates planet Earth? I don't know. What is that guy? Morgan Freeman. 
You know, like Morgan Freeman's always the narrator. It always sounds like God. Like we, we get hung up on these things. And the truth is that if God is going to speak to you, he's going to speak to you in the method, in the form that you will best receive. Think of it this way. We, he's a loving father. Amen. A loving father will choose to speak to his children in a way that they understand. How crummy of a father is it to like not try to communicate with your, your son or daughter that they would understand? Oh, for example, how about this? How about a mother and father, they give birth to a child who is deaf. A loving mother and father, they will learn sign language themselves and they will teach their son or daughter sign language. Why? So they can communicate the parents adapt to the child to make sure the child hears from the father. A loving father does whatever it takes to enable communication between him and his children. And our father is the exact same. We kind of think of like, well, I got to like line up to like the frequency and like, where's God? And you know, he is, is trying with everything he can to reach you so that you hear him. Amen. So what does that mean? It means that God speaks uniquely through the ways you are uniquely made. And God will do whatever format is best for you. He will speak to you in the ways that you are uniquely made. No two people have the same relationship with Christ. No two friendships of mine are identical. But why do we settle for one way in which God speaks to all people? If we all have individual relationships with God, clearly the reason stands that God would not speak to every single one of us in the same way. God speaks through your unique giftings and strengths. How he made you is actually the doors. It's actually the, the vows. It's the, the openings for God's voice into your own life. And it is wrong to look at someone else's unique giftings and expect God to speak to you in the same way. It's wrong to expect to look at somebody else and say, that is how God speaks to them and now I demand it for myself because you might not have their gifting. You might not have their, their strengths. You might, you're not made how they are and so it doesn't reason that God is gonna speak to you in the same way when, they've, when God has chosen to speak to them in that unique way. For example, Waterbury, he, he hears God through incredible discernment. I went to a movie with him recently. Don't ever go to a movie with him. He knows five scenes ahead of time what's going to happen. It's so frustrating. He like ruined the movie halfway through for me. But his discernment, he like hears God from like just looking at environments and perceiving. He hears God just by seeing. Sean, Lawrence, in the word. He can, you're right? He can like look at the word and he can extract things that God is speaking in the most boring verses I like fall asleep on. <laughs> Nicole Romeo, her inter intercession, when she connects with God on your behalf, she hears the most incredible things for you. Amber and Aaron will. If you've heard their prophetic worship and you've heard them elaborate in the spirit for what God is, has declared over us, it's crazy. It's God who's speaking to us. But what we do is we're like, well, why doesn't God, why don't I hear God like fill in the blank? You know, why don't I hear God like Waterbury? Why don't I hear God like whoever? Or why don't I have this gifting or whatever? It's because that is not the best way for God to reach you. 
When we complain about the ways that we don't connect with God, it's actually a declaration like, well, I'm not made to hear and receive from God in that manner. So stop trying to copy other people and contend for your own unique expression of God's voice in your life. And if you're not hearing God's voice in your life, because it is a promise, again, my sheep hear my voice. It wasn't like my sheep may hear my voice, my sheep could hear my voice, my sheep will try to hear my voice. No, my sheep hear my voice. It's very, very clear. If you aren't hearing the voice of God, maybe it's because you're more concerned about looking like somebody else and sounding like somebody else than you are about hearing from God. There's so much spiritual imitation that is ungodly that happens that stifles intimacy with Jesus. People are on the way of copycatting and looking and sounding like other people and thinking that if they look and sound and behave a certain way like somebody else, that that will bring them to intimacy. And God is not buying it. He wants your own unique expression. He wants your own unique connection to him. And the easiest way for God to do that is to speak in the ways in which you have been uniquely made. And when you do discover it, when you discover what it is that connects you with God, be unapologetic about it. You don't need to reason with people like, well, I'm really trying to grow in this area. Like, you don't need to do that. Like, when you establish connection, it doesn't matter. The connection is what matters. It doesn't matter if you're getting free cable or not. The fact is that the channels turn on. You know, we we only care about that. Does the phone ring? You know, like we want the connection. We don't, we don't matter. We don't care. Like when we go and fill up a gas tank, like we don't care what route did the truck take there. No, like we care, is it gasoline that's going to be in my tank and can I buy it? Like we, we think of the end result. And so as you connect, that was a terrible analogy, sorry. <laughs> when you connect with Jesus, you must forsake all the other stuff that is about comparison and about judgment and about analysis and about, oh, well, maybe there's something else, angst. For years, I thought I did not hear from God. For years. I'd been saved for like a decade or two earlier. But I was trapped because I, I, I actually had all the symptoms, all the forms, all the things I'm going to tell you about personally for me. I had all that stuff for most of my life. But there's a point I attended a church. And they believe that there is one way that God speaks. It's through a particular gifting. And that was like the way. That was the standard. That was the benchmark. And so I had prayer meetings for me. Like five or six people invited me to their home and, and they would like contend for me to like go through that. And all along, all the other areas of my life, I was actually having the word of God. But nobody told me that those ways and those methods in which I was interacting with God was God's voice. Somebody told me it has to be a formula. It has to be a method. It has to be this particular box once you hear God. And I wandered in my faith for three years until finally God woke me up through a prophetic word. And I'll share with that in a moment. But it was a time for me that I came to the conclusion that when I look to somebody else, I can't judge what God is saying in me by what he's saying to them. You guys with me? So what are the forms that I've experienced? And let me just give you a disclaimer on this. Um, I'm going to go for just a little bit here. Um, I won't get through all of them tonight. I'll pick it up again. But the important thing is this is not an exhaustive list and... It says that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. Masquerades. Mask, right? Convincing. So any of these things, the devil can masquerade and make an 
attributes similar to any of these things. And we need to have extreme caution to hear from the right kingdom because all kingdoms are talking. If you don't know that, let me tell you, all kingdoms are talking. (laughs) But understanding which kingdom is kingdom of God is what is important. So here's the first thing for me, is a burning heart. After the cross, Jesus came back to the earth and he walked among disciples and he was on the road to Emmaus. And this is what it says in Luke 24. After they had reached the the place and and Jesus was reclining there, this is what it says in, in Luke 24, verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us? while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures. For me, words and experiences with a burning heart are the indication of God's voice in my life. Learning to respond to your heart will open it to receive what's on God's heart. Sometimes we're so concentrated on not letting our hearts be harmed that we never feel anything. It's really important that we actually feel these things and like the, the sex trafficking and the videos and the, the horrible stories, it's important that we actually be affected by that. It's important that we don't just change the channel because it makes us feel gross or makes us feel like, oh, it's sad. And we turn off and that's actually a numb out. We're actually rebelling against what God probably wanted to touch in your heart. And when we open our heart to be affected by what's on his heart, we actually hear his voice. The heart is the doorway to Jesus' heart. If you know Romans 10, and you know how we're saved, it says, by the confessing with your mouth and the belief in your heart. If we are going to get saved through our heart, it stands to reason that Jesus will communicate through our heart. But so many of us are busy trying to turn off our hearts because we don't want to be bummed out. We don't want to ruin our night, you know? And if you want a radical prayer, if you want your heart to come alive, just simply pray this. Jesus, would you break my heart for the things that break your heart? And just sincerely pray. That'll do it. (laughs) Jesus, would you break my heart for the things that break your heart? And I assure you that you will begin to see the world differently. If you pray that with an honest heart and you are generally open, you will begin to be moved by people and places. I don't know why, but recently I've like adopted all these people to like, be generous with, um, um, I don't like to call them homeless, but people that are, are down, they, they need some money. And I'm like, I'll give whatever. I, I like. There, there's something that changed me about six months ago. And I just like, my heart breaks. And so I know like, oh, people want to reason about, well, you, you could be enabling some. I don't care. My heart is what's telling me to do this. And it's important that our hearts are alive. And, and recently at the, the main service in India, talking about, the, the brothels with, with 10-year-old girls. I mean, you sit there, if you aren't affected, if you don't allow yourself to be moved by it, then we don't allow God to even speak. It's important that we do that. Are you with me? Yeah. Scripture. This one kind of seems maybe a little obvious maybe for somebody, but have you ever had a, a time when you've read the same verse over and over and over again, and then suddenly later you read it or you hear it, and all of a sudden, I didn't know that was, you know, like I've heard that verse before, but it never touched me like that. That is actually God giving you a little highlighter into a verse that you've long overpassed. Perhaps it stands that, um, perhaps it stands out that God wants you to take notice of it in a new way. 
Sometimes we gloss over verses because we already know how it goes. We already know and so we're like, yeah, 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 I get it. I'll look for something new. I say go back and find the verses you already know. And, I, and if you ask God to leap out and touch your heart, I promise you he will. He'll speak to you through words he already spoke 2,000 years ago. Hebrews 4 puts the word this way. It says, for the word of God is alive. Everyone say alive. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I love swords. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges and the thoughts and attributes of the heart. You need to trust that God will bring the word alive before your eyes to speak to you. And when you're reading the scripture and you read it and you clearly get a personal application for how that affects your life, that is God speaking to you. When you hear a, a, an application for your life upon the same scripture you've read over and over again, that is the voice of God saying, pay attention, wake up. Recently, that happened with me with, with uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Is there a more overused verse than that one? John Maybe John 3, 16, but, but I don't know. Like We have them like everywhere, right? And this past week, I was just reading and I came across the passage and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's what stood out. It says, for I know the plans I have. The plans I have. And I suddenly like, oh, surely there's more than just one plan at work. I have a plan. God has a plan. Satan has a plan. And we misuse the plan of God all the time to explain all the bad things that happen. We would like stamp God's plan on it, you know. And, and, we, and we need to know that there are more than one plan at stake in our lives. And like suddenly, it's like, and I'll preach on that some other time, but it was like a new revelation of an old word. Why? Because God wanted to speak to me about that he has a plan and he's comparing it to my plan. That was a fun conversation. <laughs> but people don't hear God's voice often in the word wise because they read the word of God like an encyclopedia. If you read the word of God like an encyclopedia, you will be bored as you are in school. You're just doing it to get through it. But the Bible is not an encyclopedia, it's a love letter. If you begin to open the scriptures and you look at it as a love letter, then you will begin to see the different ways that God wants to take unique verses and customize them for you. Have you ever had a love letter and obsessed over the details of it? Like, I wonder what she meant by okay, you know? <laughs> She put two smiley faces in the text message. What does that mean? You know, like. But that is the same principle in which God reveals to us in the scriptures. He wants us to look at his word as a love letter and he wants us actually to get hung up on what does he mean by that? You know, maybe not that word, but something that like draws us in. He is trying to draw you in like a love letter with the details of the scriptures. Why? Because there's treasures, there's, there's hidden things in there for us. And so the attitude and the posture you embrace when reading the word will determine what you hear from God. If you go to the word expecting to be bored, you will be bored. It's pretty straightforward. But if you go to the word expecting God, I, I trust this is the living word. It says it's alive and active and I believe that something's going to leap off my page. And just try reading the Bible every day and read one verse. Don't read a chapter, don't read a book, don't read a section, just, just try reading one verse and sit on that one verse for 20 minutes and tell me that God doesn't speak to you in that. I can, if I give myself the posture and the expectation, God reveals so much to me in the smallest, most insignificant verses.
Next, an audible voice. This is where it gets creepy. (laughs) I'm not an audible voice person, but I know a lot of people who have heard from God in an audible voice. And typically, it's the, the scenario where somebody is about ready to give themselves over to sin, and they hear the word stop. And they hear like, I love you. They'll, they'll, they'll audibly with their eardrums. This is not just a, oh, I, I hear it in my soul. It's actually, they claim that their eardrums were interacting with God's voice. And the audible voice is also described in the Bible many times. But here's a unique thing, is the audible voice of God in the Bible almost always is around extreme circumstances. Let me give you one. In Paul, uh, at the time before his name was Saul, and uh, he had an extreme measure where a bright light came and knocked him on his butt, and then Jesus appeared and talked to him. And it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, as he was traveling, this is Saul, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting audible voice, very clear. It wasn't interpretive. It wasn't like a vision. It wasn't a dream. It was like legitimately. Now, my opinion on this passage is I believe that Jesus was trying to reach Saul a whole bunch of other ways. I believe I finally said, well, if I got to knock you on your butt and send a light to blind you, I will speak to you that way. Why? It's because God is going to use whatever method he can to reach you and speak to you. If you know the Old Testament, there's a funny little passage about Jesus or God using a donkey to speak up when other people didn't. (laughs) Eric so eloquently used the proper English for that in the New King James to describe that. (laughs) But God is not, he's not ashamed of doing an extreme measure. But just because God uses an extreme measure to reach you does not mean that's his preferred method. Just because God at one time used an extreme measure to get your attention and to speak to you does not mean he wants to use that every time. If he had to wait every single time to send a light and knock Paul on his butt to speak to him, it would get very tiring. The extreme measure that God took was to describe that there is more available for you. But what we do is that we experience God in a unique way and then we put God in a box and say that's the only way that God speaks. And those extreme ones, those extreme times, those are the times that God is trying to pull us in closer. He's not saying this is how it is. He's like, I'm waving my arms now, come closer. And so many people, when we talk about hearing the voice of God, they get mixed up. They think that they need to hear an audible voice of God. And for me personally, I believe that eardrums are inferior to the spirit. I don't contend for an audible voice of God. I don't mind it. I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I don't look at it as like superior. Why? Because spirit is always greater than flesh. Stop looking for an audible voice of God. Stop looking for God in a taco. Stop looking for different like things like, oh, the painting, when the water hit it, you know, it spells out something. Like God, we, we put God in such a lame box when we talk about tacos and potato chips and things and signs like that when he's like, The spirit is so much greater than the flesh. And let me tell you something on this, is that you connecting with God's presence in the privacy of your own home is more intimate with God. You are connecting more with him than you are if you feel obligated to go on a Sunday, sit your butt in a pew, and look on Facebook. 
don't go to church if you're going to do that. You don't earn any brownie points in heaven. You know, oh, awesome. Yeah, he didn't pay attention. You know, it's not about that. I don't, I don't ever badger anybody into attendance or, you know, I, I hate it when people are like, oh, I, I missed Epic last. I don't, don't say that to me. I don't care. Like, because I trust that we're building people that their intimacy surpasses attendance. I honestly don't mind. I want you, please come back. But I honestly, I'm here so that we don't build attendance. I'm here so that people hear the presence wherever they go. We fail if this is the only place that you have the presence. We are an utter failure if this is the only place you ever experience God. Why? It's because God desires that your connection with him happens anytime, anywhere you want. Not on Thursdays in a chair. That's quite uncomfortable. So I want to say amen. (laughs) And Jesus to this says in John 4, as he describes it, he's going to be leaving. He says that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Why would you ever prefer eardrums, donkeys, and tacos for God to speak to you when the scripture tells us that we are united with him? Amen? I got a lot more. You guys want me to do one more? You guys all right? The next is your own thoughts and words. Your own thoughts and words. Many times our own thoughts and words are the actual thoughts and words of God. But we don't like that. That makes us feel uncomfortable. You need to know that your thoughts and words can be inspired to be the actual thoughts and words of God. How many times, like last week I hear like, oh, Waterbury's message touched me so much, right? Or how many times like I hear from, oh, that time that Sean talked on this, it really touched me. I heard just last week about Eugene and I've heard about Ashley and all these different people and, and we, and it's funny because some people are like, ah, oh, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I didn't know someone felt, why? Of course, Why are we so surprised that our words can coincide with the word of God and speak to people as if it is God? If we don't live to understand that our words and our actions and our thoughts are actually the thoughts of God, then we're wasting our time. That's called religion. If we're here marking attendance and doing like little sin management, I mean, that's religion. Jesus did not come for us to have really good behavior. He came so that we'd have his presence and and make a life that's not just about don't do this. I mean, that's all a Christian living is, is like all the list of don't do's, right? And he's like, just forget that. He's like, follow me. You know, Jesus never said, okay, well, you know, you got this sin, you got that. I need you to enroll in Christ's life first before you follow me. I need you to um, meet with Waterbury and yeah, and meet with Lori and do all this. He's like, follow me, you know? Jesus is going that way, follow me. And we get so caught up because we're like looking at all the do not do's. And that's religion, but the the follow me is to say, I want to come and show you relationship. I want to come and speak with you and empower you to have my own thoughts. We need to know that your own words and thoughts can be the very words someone's life is hinging on. How many times is... Do we, we probably don't even see, but I imagine that the words we speak and say are saving lives and we don't even know it. 
what you extend to somebody from your heart and you are connected with Jesus, you have to trust that you are imparting life-saving words when Jesus is speaking with you. But you just don't even know it yet. Have you ever been impressed with something you said? Like telling someone, no, no, and you're like, dang, that was good. We're going to write that down. You thought like, man, I didn't write that down. That was really good, you know, but, but you don't want to blow your cover right there. You're like kind of owning it. You're like. Perhaps it was God speaking through you. Why not just take that moment and say, bam, I'm going to attribute that to upstairs. We need to know that God is concerned about speaking through us, even if we don't even acknowledge it. Matthew 10 says, At the time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. What does this mean? God cannot speak through you if you refuse to open your mouth. Let me say it again. God cannot speak through you if you don't open your mouth. When God speaks through you, it's not like, well, let me say what God, hear what God says, you know? So many times, the act of opening your mouth in faith, starting the conversation and say, God, I trust you're going to catch up to speed here <laughs> and run with me. Oftentimes, that is the method in which God is going to speak. If you sit there and wait, like, I'm not going to speak until God speaks. I mean, there's people that are that in tune, but I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you for me <laughs> that every single time, every message I start, I start a blank sheet. I'm like, I don't know what on earth I'm going to do. And you know what I do? I just have to start typing. In the prayer ministry, Sometimes I'll pray for people and people will come like, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I, I, I need something, you know, like, and I'll just, I'll, I'll step in faith and begin to pray. Why? It's because as I get up to speed, the voice of God comes and follows behind. Have you ever been surfing? Anybody here? We need to go surfing. Come on, guys. <laughs> surfing. Perfect analogy. I'm so excited I get to use a surfing analogy. This is great. You paddle out in the water, right? And you get out there and there's waves coming. And you sit there, well, what do you do? The waves are coming at like seven, eight miles an hour. You paddle into the wave. Why? Because you need to catch up to the momentum to catch it. And once you catch it, then you don't need to exert any more power. The same way is with your own words and thoughts. When you begin to go, you are paddling into it and you're catching up with what God really wants to say. And then he takes over. But, we, but if you go out surfing and you're like, I'm not going to paddle, you're not going to catch any waves. And so the act of obedience of beginning to speak and beginning to catch up to what God already wants to say is going to proclaim what God really wants to say. But we get caught up because we don't want to speak until we've heard a dove flying down, you know? And God's saying, paddle. Paddle into the presence. Paddle into what I already want. I give you like... You know, like, we always remember, like, the middles of the movie. But, like, we don't really remember, like, the beginnings, you know, really. Like, same way. If you're nervous about, well, I have to have, you know, it all right. People don't remember what the first things to say anyways. It's going to matter in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I got so much more. I got to stop there. Oh, no. You guys really want one more? Yeah. Okay, this is it then, all right? Good grief. <laughs> you guys aren't kidding? Okay. 
This is it for tonight. Because there's, we can be here till midnight if I keep going. So the, the next is dreams and visions and the prophetic. Wow, I'm glad I didn't stop. I would have missed the applause. Dreams, visions, and the prophetic. Acts 21, 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Everyone say all. How many know that when Jesus says all, he kind of means all? Okay, amen. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Pouring out of the spirit means dreams, visions, and prophecy. I don't get how people say, well, I believe that was all for the older times. I will pour out my spirit, dreams, visions, and prophecy. Dreams. God will give inspired dreams to those who respond to them. God will give inspired dreams to anyone in this room who will respond to them as if they're from God. If you don't have inspired dreams, maybe it's because the first one's kind of floated on by and just, oh, oh well. I used to do that. I used to think like, oh, what did I eat last night? That was a weird dream, you know? (laughs) And then what incredibly happened is I think I I spent the rest of my life never having any more dreams. I'd have a ton of them. And then then I just like ignored them and was like, well, that's kind of weird dreams. It's kind of spooky. You know, I don't want to like think of these things of God and whatever. So then I spent probably about 10, 15 years, no dreams, none. And then I had one. And then we have uh, Chad Everett, who's a kind of a friend of our ministry. I emailed him. I was like, you won't believe what I got. A pig snout, a mountain, and people coming up this hill. It was crazy, you know, like, and so he gave me this crazy thing. And it like hit my heart. I was like, whoa, like that is legit. And so I wrote it down. And then I didn't have too many dreams. But probably about a year or two later, I had another one. What I do with that next dream is I brought it to Jared. And he's gifting that. And he came back with this crazy thing. I write it down, I put it in. And then I've been having more dreams recently. Why? It's because God will choose to speak to you in ways that you listen. If you don't have inspired dreams, maybe because it's a place that you've made off limits to God's voice. Think of the ways in which maybe we have turned God's voice into off limit zones in our life. If dreams, prophecy, and visions are off limits to you, how can you expect God to intervene? Because you're overruling him. But because I made the realm of my dreams available for God to speak to me, he began to speak to me in my dreams. Visions. Visions don't need to be out-of-body creepy experiences. <laughs> yeah, I had a vision. You know, like, anybody see like the visions of like in prophecies that people said there's gonna be an earthquake today? I love Brian Orm too, because he's like, watch everybody, they're not gonna, you know, it's not gonna happen. But, so again, remember, we got to temper these different things, right? There's discernment, all these things. But visions, I don't look at at visions as these like out-of-body experiences. Vision for me is anytime I see myself doing something that Jesus would also do. There's times in which I look at things and I see, man, Jesus would do that. And I feel my heart, again, burning. I, I, I feel that there's this inclination there. When our first trip in El Salvador happened, I, I, I never put the words into now, but I think I had a vision of us building the school and completing the school. It takes vision to get you to a place. 
And so God gave me the vision of what was gonna happen in that school so that I would have the faith to come back and say to all you guys, hey, let's go build a school. But anytime that we see ourselves participating in a way that impacts kingdom, it's okay to call that a vision. Why? Because I'll pour out my spirit and your young men will, will uh, see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And if you see a situation as God sees it, you'll respond as God would respond. That's the point of visions. Prophecy and the prophetic. When we get pictures in our mind, metaphors or prophetic declarations, I believe it's God speaking. Again, we temper these things as well, like we have discernment, but the word that I got when I found out, when I went from the, the realm of like, well, God only speaks in this one formulaic way, there was a prophetic word that perfectly described my dorm room, perfectly described the thoughts in my head, and perfectly described how I was doing at two in the morning most nights. And in that, I just like kind of came unglued, and then the word of hope came. What a prophetic word does, it opens your heart to hear what God wants to say. When it's like a word of knowledge and someone tells you things like, you shouldn't know that. That's my favorite thing. People come here and maybe they know some of us and they go in the, you know, the prayer line and they get prayer. Like the very first thing they say is like, you told them all my stuff. And they're like, we didn't tell anybody anything. God is so concerned about opening your heart that he wants to, to make demonstrations of power about giving other people insight into your life so that you will hear. He says, I did not come with clever words and wisdom. I came with demonstrations of power. There's nothing more powerful than somebody knowing your mail before you ever opened it. And the presence of a prophetic word either creates instant transformation or it gives you vision for future transformation. It gives you vision to see where you can go and helps you get there. 1 Corinthians 14, it says, for you can all, everyone say all, all prophesy. I mean, you know that the Bible, when it says all, it kind of means all. In turns, that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Last year, every person on our El Salvador trip, they connected with God's voice and they prophesied by the end of the week. Crazy. Every single one of them. And it wasn't like, oh, crazy, storms are going to come. And it wasn't like that. People mistake that stuff all the time. There are people who are gifted in the prophetic that are able to give an impartation of God's voice. These two, Jared and Charity, some of the most powerful people I know. Saul, wherever you are, you're one of those two. It's crazy. If you want to be connected in the prophetic and to have a prophetic gifting, you need to hang around people who are gifted in those areas. So if you want to get good in basketball, it's like you hang out with people who play basketball, not croquet. Like you, you hang around giants um, sorry, if you want to kill giants, you hang out with giant killers. Yeah. Did I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> but they can give you both a prophetic word that you may need and also teach you in the way to, to have it of your own. 